Greetings, race community. Brent coming in live with today's guest, Kyle Edgington, who serves as the Vice President for Development and Alumni Relations at the University of Texas at Dallas. Welcome, Kyle. Thank you, Brent. Glad to be here. Well, uh, Kyle, I was just sharing with you um, that I was having some IT issues before we started recording today, uh, but I saw in my notes that you have an IT background, so I knew that we would be in good hands either way. Decided to to power through. Really appreciate your flexibility. Um, before we get into your uh, IT start, if you will, though, I'd love to learn more about your own college journey. Um, maybe take me back to junior, senior year of high school. Who was that guy? What was he into? And what led him to Texas Tech? Sure. Thanks, Brent. So, um, yes, my high school, junior, senior year was pretty much uh, – Marching band, uh, you know, some class council. I, I split my time between um, my my church and my high school. So I went home to sleep and eat. It kind of felt like my they, those two places were right next door to each other. I went to Euless Trinity High School in Euless, Texas, and then First Baptist Church, Euless. So great, uh, great experience there. Really good school system. Uh, Hearst Euless Bedford uh, Independent School District, and then uh, went on to Texas Tech there in 1996, and uh, continued to uh, pursue marching band and music there. But I I did uh, not major in music, as you mentioned. I um, had a uh, background in IT, so I majored in management information systems at UT. I'm uh, sorry, not at UT Dallas, but at Texas Tech, and um, and that was a good experience as well there in Lubbock met my wife there uh, as when we were going to school and we uh, laid down some roots in Lubbock after we graduated. So good experience both in high school and in, in Lubbock at Texas Tech. So tell me about the marching band. Uh, what instrument did you play and what was your favorite experience there? So at, uh, and so both high school and in college, it was the, um, the drums. So the tenors or the quads, if you will, um, in the marching band. And um, that's the instrument I played all, all throughout and, and both experiences great, but certainly in, in college, it really is quite an experience and especially at a large, um, a large university and a big conference, of course, traveling, you know, to the away games and attending all of the football games and, and basketball games and, you know, really, uh, being, uh, taken there, uh, by the school, you know, as an ambassador of the school, Representing the university was a lot of fun. And then, of course, playing with great musicians and and a very good band. I mean, Texas Tech uh, going band, going band from Raiderland, a really good band and great musicians. So probably one of the highlights of my um, my college experience. I love that. You know, oftentimes we're meeting uh, advancement leaders who got their start in, uh, you know, the call center or something like that. Uh, but it sounds like you didn't have too much free time for that sort of thing in, in college. Well, no, I did have a job in the call center at Texas. Oh, there you go. Boom. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I sure did. No, I was I was a caller, and we were calling in the basement of the man of the business school building, and so I was a student caller. And then I guess I I guess I did all right, and I, I worked my way up to the student manager. So then, so went, went transitioned from the phones to to the student manager that was sort of listening in and taking the, uh, the, the call when the, when the callers raised the gift and sort of thanking the donor. That was, that was a really good experience too. And of course, as maybe we will talk about later that planted the seed, I, I think for me. Yeah, for sure. And uh, any like 
early memories, good, bad, other, either as a student caller yourself or a student manager. I mean, you know, you get a, a lot of stories uh, just given the the sheer volume of conversations that are had. Anything stand out? You know, not not really. I, I wish I had a really funny story or fun story, but I guess I really, I guess I don't um, have anything to add on, on that one. It was, it was Texas tech alums are pretty nice and easy to work with and generous. So there's nothing, nothing too crazy. They were pretty welcoming. I think they were just glad that that we were really students calling them, you know, and not, not some call, some random call center somewhere, you know, with people that have no association with, with the university. So it was good. It was, I'm I'm sure there might've been something I just can't, I can't remember. And so you're studying management information systems essentially in lockstep with like the internet happening, right? Like you get to school in 96, people are getting their first email addresses or, or not. Um, and so kind of what was it like when you reflect on just the timing of, of that, like such a fast moving sector during that specific sort of four year window? Yeah, that's true. You know, and I think that I, I might, I may not have been able to you know, do that as a young person. Now, I, I really, I, I didn't grow up, you know, with computers. I, I, I wasn't the, the gamer or the one that built computers, although, you know, I, I guess I did build one in high school and, um, but never really was sort of knowing that I would have that trajectory or that, that real interest in, in, in technology. I, but, um, but you're right. I mean, it was very early on. And of course, you know, I can remember it was dial up and you had to sort of dial up on your modem and, check your email and different things. And then into, at Texas Tech, the uh, the programming language, the, the Weedout class, if you will, was COBOL. And, you know, that was the pro- structured programming language, you, you know, that was, um, I just found it a little bit uh, more logical to me. So in today's sort of object-oriented language and different types of language that C++ and those languages today, I probably wouldn't do as well. So I, I just, I, I liked it. I, I found an interest in it in, in, at tech. And the funny story is when we were um, freshmen and all the departments would come down in our big lecture class, they would come down and tell us why we should study marketing or why we should study finance or why we should study this or that. They, the, the, the MIS guys came down and, and gals came down and said, we have just about a hundred percent job placement after college. And I said, okay, sign me up. So I, you know, it was really um, a little bit self-interest in that respect too, that, that uh, influenced my decision, but really found a, a, a niche there, something maybe I, I didn't have. And again, I was just always just on the edge of, of understanding it and, and being able to do programming and different things. I found it fascinating. Texas Tech had a good history and I think it was one of the very first MIS programs in the country, you know, so it had some expertise there. And, you know, we were programming and we were taking our punch cards and to the compiler and sort of running that, you know, at late night. So it was, I found it pretty fun and something I'd never done before. And, and that, and that did, that did lead to a really good uh, job. And I would say a career out of college that I'm really thankful for. Yeah. So you ended up joining Singular Wireless, which I would consider sort of one of the, let's call it web 1.0 kind of intersection of mobile and, and internet um, kind of rocket ship stories, really. Mm-hmm. And and you joined at an interesting period because obviously um, you were there, you know, for the run-up of, of the dot-com boom, but then were able to sort of weather um, the bust that, that occurred um, at that time. And so just curious what led you to the 
opportunity at singular and yeah, what stands like, out? Yes, Brent, just like anything, uh, your loosely coupled network really helps you land jobs. I think we all, all know this. And so um, through some individuals that I knew and just some relationships that I had was able to get um, an interview for, for at, at singular, which was, um, which is now AT&T wireless. So really, if you remember, I mean, if you had a cell phone or a AT&T wireless cell phone, it was previously singular wireless back then. And um, I worked in a call center in Lubbock. And so it was a former Texas Instruments wafer fab in Lubbock. It's very big, sprawling um, building, one story flat building, you know, but very, very large. And so they turned that into a a 1000 node or 1000 seat plus call center with intelligent skills based routing so it was a very sophisticated call center so if you were to call customer service on your phone today depending on what problem you have you would be routed to someone and i believe there's uh, would be still in lubbock taking calls today so it was a really uh sophisticated place to work actually and really got a lot of experience early on as a very young uh, freshly graduated um, IT pr uh, professional. And so was it a bunch of Texas Tech, uh, Texas Tech alums basically shoulder to shoulder? Was it that sort of uh, environment? Or? You know, good question, but not really. Um, you know what I found? And so we did desktop and server and then telephony. So telephony would be, you know, back then you had these big machines called PBX switches. So they were like literally the, the the phone lines of all those phones came into a, a big machine and it and it connected all of those phones to essentially to go outside to the to the um, broader network to connect with the broader phone system and so they, it was a switch and um, there were uh, people that worked on the telephony that was again a, a pretty complicated system M you know, most of them really didn't graduate college. They were, they were very skilled at what they did, but they'd been in the industry. Maybe they started at the phone company and maybe they were out installing, you know, lines and switches and stuff in residential and other areas. And so they were, uh, you know, brought in to do these types of things. And that was really when there was a lot, like you mentioned, there was a lot of change and disruption in technology with, with just being able to automate a lot of these things. So it wasn't so much um, there wasn't so much manual switching and programming done and um, where you had to, to, to necessarily wire or hard connect certain phones together. You could have a switch being able to do this sort of on, on the fly, depending on you know, what your program told it to do. And so um, a lot of disruption. So a lot of, a lot of um, professionals that, were, that had familiarity with the old system. And then there were professionals that at, you know, trained on the newer type of systems. And so it was really a good blending of all kinds of people. So, so I did have a few uh, fellow, you know, graduates, but really a lot, a lot came from all over the place because it was a very large call. It was one of the, I think it was the largest call center that, that singular wireless operated in the country. So really all customer service calls went into that call center right there in Lubbock. And so you're, you're there, you, you went to college there, you're working there, so you're not too far away uh, from campus and probably catching games on the weekends and, you know, cheering on the marching band and the teams and so forth. But then uh, ultimately, 
that was sort of your pivot back. Uh, it, really, your pivot into advancement came by way of, of Texas Tech. So who, who looped you in? Yeah, so um, I'll tell two really quick s- stories. Please. Make them really fast. Um, and, and kind of funny and, and maybe some truth in, in one of them. But, yes, yeah, so working in the call center, um, I, I still did attend. We had Texas Tech, you know, football right in our literally almost, you know, like in our backyard and basketball and Bobby Knight was there and, you know, for basketball. And it was just, a, I mean, it was a great time. Of course, we love Texas Tech. And um, my my uncle was Texas Tech's first chancellor, John T. Montford. And he began, uh, the system began in, in 96. So he was there when I was there, although I tell people that, and this is true, that, that I was accepted to Texas Tech before the regents uh, appointed him chancellor. So he, he followed me to Lubbock. I didn't follow him to Lubbock. But, you know, he was uh, having an uncle that was the chancellor at your university, obviously, you know, provided all kinds of just different, different viewpoints and aspects of different things that I would have otherwise not seen, including the first campaign that he launched, the mm-hmm. Texas Tech's first campaign ever was called the Horizon Campaign. And, and he, so he launched that. And Texas Tech had never at that time done any type of comprehensive campaigning, any type of major gift fundraising. And of course, now they're, you know, they're raising nearly 200 or more million dollars a year, maybe more than that, you know, when you combine the um, Health Science Center in, into the university. So they, that, that, is, that has been a, a really, a real success story over, over time. And of course, previous chan- uh, um, uh, chancellors, you know, along the way have, have, have lent to that and big, big and very successful advancement team. But so I, so I'd had Brent, so I'd had some, I I did have a seed planted, you know, when I was a student, obviously I still pursued MIS and went on to uh, an IT job before I came back to, to uh, eventually came back into um, advancement at Texas tech. But I, I did know, I did know some people there. And again, that loosely coupled network allowed, you know, allowed me to get, to be able to get, uh, my foot in the door. And again, I don't know now uh, if, if I could have just sort of come in there as a non-experienced person and gotten a major gift uh, development officer position. So I was very fortunate to be able to do that, but um, I, leaving it wasn't, you know, I, I knew I, I knew that um, it was probably time. I just didn't feel like um, after seven years of it, and it was very, very good singular wireless. And you know, it was very good to me. And I enjoyed some great success there. And, but I always just felt like I, I didn't, I really just couldn't see what I was doing. I, I just couldn't see my work in sort of the, in the, the broader product of this huge company. And I just knew that it wasn't something I was going to build a, a career around. So I knew there, there might be something else out there for me. So, so I did um, begin to, to just explore opportunities and um, a gentleman named Mark Lindemood, who was the vice chancellor of advancement at, Texas Tech at the time uh, took took an interview with me and and he actually he actually liked the fact that I had an MBA um, I had an MBA from Wayland Baptist and I had picked that up as as I was working at um, Singular at night and so he liked he liked that he thought that uh, that that sort of mindset uh, would would work well in the position that they wanted me to do which was basically a, just a regional traveling uh, discovery call officer traveling um, the state of Texas. And so he took a chance on me and I'm, and I'm glad he did, you know, and, and so that was my first job at, uh, in, as a fundraiser 
at Texas Tech. And it wasn't um, like you were in a career path that is a common starting point where folks start in that sort of environment at singular and then pivot their way in. And so I am curious, you know, you're 28, 29 at the time, you go from this six year kind of run in a call center environment to outbound prospecting. I mean, tell me just about the kind of first six months and just what that adjustment was like. Was it pretty straightforward? Was it challenging? I mean, just what, what did they actually equip you with? Was it a mature portfolio, a, a brand new portfolio? I mean, just take me back to that, that period. Yeah. So good question. I, I was really nervous and I'd never done anything like th this before or that before at the time. And, um, you know, I just remember being given, um, you know, being given a portfolio, uh, a territory and, but I, I, Texas tech at the time had some really good onboarding. I, uh, there are several colleagues that I attended my onboarding with that are still with Texas tech. So great long, great longevity there. I will say that, um, of course, just like we experience at UT Dallas, we, we do have a lot that come and go, but we enjoy good, good tenure and longevity too. And I think that matters. And so Texas tech's one of those places that, um, you know, it does, I mean, you, you, you do grow a, a real strong affinity to, to words. So lots of great development professionals still there. Um, but I had uh, a couple of good bosses at the time and, and they, um, at, and the vice chancellor and the associate vice chancellor, both of them took took interest in helping me helping me along. So between you know the the, the top leadership and then just some great colleagues, just some peers that helped me um, that helped me with uh, what what to do. You know, some, someone coming in that had really never done this type. Of course, I had called and I, you know, I, I it wasn't it wasn't just a a, a blank you know canvas of of wondering what to do for me. I at least had some margin uh, already painted on there. So I, but, but, but also just, you know, being willing, I, I, I liked it. I mean, I immediately, I immediately liked traveling and getting out across Texas. I'm a native Texan, you know, getting, getting out there, meeting people that were, that were really incredible, uh, mostly all Texas tech graduates, you know, all over the state doing great things. And I mean, I, I was, I was hooked pretty quickly. So it made it, it made it easier to really tackle that learning curve. So that combined with great leadership at Texas tech, uh, you know, I was really only there for less than two years before I moved, uh, before I, I moved out of there back to, to Dallas, but that was a great, uh, quick. And I was given some pretty good responsibility early on, um, in our college of engineering there too. So opportunity to do a lot. And I, I loved it because to me, that kind of, I could see, you know, I could see my work materialize into some really great things, almost, you know, um, much, much more quickly than I was seeing, you know, at my previous industry in it, um, in a different way. So I, I liked it and, and, and the rest is history, I suppose. So it sounds like you were pretty, um, yeah, like you said, pretty hooked uh, early on. And so then the question is, uh, you know, where, where do you, you know, how do you shape the career? And, and, uh, and that was kind of opted that move. You could have gone uh, anywhere and kind of what, uh, 
what stood out. Yeah, Brent. So I think we had a we had speaking of IT, I think we had the uh the hiccup there. I'll, I'll just ask that again. We'll yeah, uh, ask we'll it again. It ask it no again. Yeah. 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 So but, you but, had the opportunity after about two years to make the move to uh your current employer. And I'm just curious what led to that. Uh were you recruited? Were you networking? I mean, what what was the opportunity? So my wife and I mentioned we she and I met at at Texas Tech our, our senior years and um we were married pretty quickly and um after college we did uh we did live in Lubbock and built a house and started a family and loved everything about Lubbock have great friends there still today but you know after our first child was born we were from this uh, area here in DFW my wife from Plano I'm from Hearst Ulysses Bedford of Dallas you know both Dallas Fort Worth and so we knew that we eventually, you know, wanted to be closer to um, family and have our k- kids know their grandparents. And, and then also, um, you know, I, I was interested in coming, uh, exploring some opportunities in, in Dallas-Fort Worth. And so there was a, um, there was a posting or a, a uh, advertisement for a, a major gift officer or a director of development at UT Dallas's School of Management. And so I responded to that advertisement through a search firm and was able to just get an interview. I I didn't have Brent, I, you know, I didn't have the uh seven or so or eight or nine years that that was in that advertisement of experience. And and so I really kind of was the long shot. And I'd done some good things at Texas Tech, but not a certainly not a robust resume of accomplishments at that point in time. And so I just begged for an interview. And so they put me in there. And I guess the, I'm told the search committee liked liked some aspects of my resume and gave me that you know gave me that interview. And so um, that combined with where UT Dallas was at its time in building its fundraising organization it just came together with, the, with what they were looking for and, and what they had experienced, you know, and what, maybe what, maybe what their, maybe what their bar was or their expectation was at the time. Um, but I met the Dean of the management school uh, throughout the process of the interview. His name is Hassan Pierkul, and he's the longest tenured Dean serving Dean in the, in the country right now. So he's been there for about 27, he has been there as a Dean for about 27 years. And and so that's unheard of, but he has built a phenomenal management school uh, from literally not even eligible for any type of rankings in the U S news and world report back, you know, when, when he became Dean in 96 to today, a top 30 business school in the nation. And so uh, he he and I had some great chemistry right off the bat and that helped because I think he, you know, he was not necessarily the hiring manager, but as you know, and everyone knows that your development person is going to partner with the Dean and that's an important relationship. And so that uh, I owe a lot to him too, uh, Dean Pierre cool for, um, for choosing me. And so um, I, that, that really was a pivotal point in, in my fundraising career was getting that job. 
Tell me about that partnership because it can be make or break for people um, and for, you know, philanthropic outcomes. And so what do you look for? Or when you think about what made that partnership strong and if other folks are considering roles where you might really be reliant on that symbiotic relationship with the dean, how do you judge that up front? How do you diligence that? Because ultimately, um, if that's a successful or unsuccessful, you know, relationship, it really can have um, as much of an outcome or much of an impact on the outcome of your work as anything you can control. 100%. And I don't know if I can put it into words, but I think you felt it and maybe our colleagues have felt it when they've been in such situations or interviews. It's almost an immediate chemistry. I mean, it's almost an immediate feeling. You say maybe first impressions, you know, or everything, and mm-hmm. we hear those things. And I, I really do think that that that's sort of whatever that is and and what we have an ability to as people you know um to to feel that way about those that we may work for or have to partner with i mean listen to that i i think that's important sometimes we don't because we want the job so badly or we just sort of maybe don't listen to our guts as much as we should but anyway i don't know how to necessarily explain it um as well as others could but there just was just an just an immediate comfort level of of, of speaking with one another. I think there was mutual respect. I, I was young. I mean, I was, and I, and young and, and relatively inexperienced in fundraising. And I'll admit that. And I admitted that then too, but, but I, um, I, I did have a, I did have a drive and, and an ambition to, to make something happen at a school like UT Dallas, where I thought it wasn't as, it wasn't, coming into something, a program that was um, established and achieving at such high levels. So I, I thought I could do some really good, good work there. And so um, not only Dean Pure Cool, but also the advancement leadership and the president at the time was really uh, interested and committed to building out more of a fundraising organization. I, when I was hired there at UT Dallas, I might have been the 10th or 11th person in the entire development organization at that time, maybe the third, maybe, maybe, maybe one of three development officers, you know, that, that had the assignments, had the job of um, being dedicated to raising major gifts. So it was, you know, it it really was non-existent. And, you know, today we have 80, more than 80 people on the staff. So it's grown quite a bit, but that, that just wasn't the case. It just was a different UT Dallas of 14, 15 years ago. is just a totally different place than it is today. And and certainly in fundraising and and our expectations there. So um, to answer your question, just immediate chemistry, just, you know, that just that uh, intangible, maybe that, that I can't describe with the Dean and it turned out to be very real. And he was, uh, more than willing to provide budget, he provided uh, opportunity for me is to 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 take a risk and to maybe do some things that that didn't work and to spend some dollars that maybe didn't have the highest of ROI. Um, but we kept doing this, and as we'll talk maybe about later, we you know we we ended up naming the school. You know, we ended up raising a gift that named the management school from a, a, a fantastic alum named Naveen Jindal out of India. He was an, uh, an MBA student uh, of ours. And so, you know, I, I think um, his, that Dean's willingness 
you know, to, to, to do, to do whatever he could as a Dean um, to help a fundraiser he did. And, and it was well, just let, a great experience. Let me ask about that because obviously right time is uh, the most precious resource. And when you're a Dean, you're getting pulled in a lot of different directions and uh, certainly, you know, fundraising is a, is a key priority, but there's a lot of other things going on. And so when you think about, a very high impact, high ROI way for a dean to support the solicitation or the cultivation or even the stewardship process. You know, what's an example of that? And then also, what is maybe a counter example of the kind of thing? Because, like, the dean could be a crutch too, right? Like, once you find out that the dean can, uh, you know, help make something easier or move something faster. It's a slippery slope because you could easily just turn into, you know, asking the Dean to be the fundraiser. And so how do you think about high impact opportunity for somebody like a Dean to engage versus things that maybe you should avoid? Yeah. I know what you're saying about the relying too much, maybe on a Dean or a president, you know, as, and we, and we want that, you know, we, we want a Dean or I, I would, I would want a Dean or a president, you know, to, to be a fundraiser too. Um, and I think, I think maybe a, a good combination of that exists for whomever is listening or has the position that's probably, is probably a, a combination of that. Uh, that's unique at any, at any, any university or any nonprofit that's raising money. But what I would say that uh, I experienced there at UT Dallas and, and still today, you know, uh, to, to uh, a large extent, it's just the, the um, encouragement and the ease and willingness of a dean to invest, and it's it, and it really and it wasn't money at the time. It, of course, it wasn't a big staff, but um, having having the budget to 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 do the things that we do, which at that time um, was uh, traveling. Um, maybe launching a, a brand new event that took quite a bit of investment early on to do these types of awareness building activities that probably didn't amount to much in giving. And, you know, with alumni participation, even, I mean, even now UT Dallas, I mean, we're maybe around the 4% alumni participation. I mean, back when I first started, it was well under 2%. It doesn't seem like a lot of growth, but we are adding four and 5,000 alumni every year. You know, we're the UT Dallas has been anywhere between the, the, the second fastest and the, and the sixth fastest growing university in the country in the last, you know, so many years. We're always, we're always in that, that ranking Mm. growing really, really fast. So so just to maintain an alumni giving participation level would be impressive, but we've been able to, uh, for the last 10 or so years, and even probably further back, um, increase our uh, alumni participation every year. But those are smaller gifts, and it's a smaller base, and it's just been that way. And so early on, um, when I was the in the management school, we were doing a lot of things, but not these, these big gifts weren't coming in. And so for the dean to to just see the long game and to be able to understand that it really is a function of time and effort and investment and, and building and building and building good things eventually did happen. And I, and I think maybe, maybe some 
other person. And maybe I would be in this camp too, because I'm awfully, I find myself impatient sometimes, even with myself and with, with staff or colleagues, you know, we, we might get, we might get frustrated, you know, we might want to change things and not stay the course, but he, he did that. And, and so, and that's how he ran the school. You know, he, he set a high bar. He wants, uh, this Dean wanted people to, to perform well, you know, with whatever they were doing. And so, uh, you, and you wanted to, he was one of those leaders that, uh, you, you wanted to perform, you want to perform well for him. And, and if you don't, uh, a lot of people self-select out because of the culture there is as such, you know, and that that's unique, you know, that doesn't exist everywhere. And so that helped too. that helped that, that, that it's almost all of my colleagues were, were very supportive of, of, uh, at the, t- at the time in that position as a, as a new fundraiser, the faculty and the associate deans and the staff, you know, everyone was really supportive and that helped too, you know, with, with, with being able to do, um, what we ultimately did. So I was, um, back in 2008, the first, really the first fundraiser there. And now that school has a team of, of 12 to 15 or so at any given time. So you can just kind of see how fundraising, you know, success leads to success and more success and more success, but it's taken a long time, I mean, a decade and a half. And along the way, you got to uh, add something to your resume, which is Professor Edgington. So tell me about that. Uh, yeah, what are yeah. you teaching, and and how did that come about? Yeah, I'll be careful. I mean, I'm I'm uh, next to some of the real professors there. I'm not really a professor, but I, I was a visiting clinical professor. I did take so after we named the management school, and I experienced that that success, and you know that was I had some good tenure. That was about five years or so at, this, at that job. Um, I, I did entertain um, a uh, some interest in, in me in um, taking a position at Big Brothers Big Sisters as the president of the Lone Star Foundation, which uh, the Lone Star chapter of Big Brothers Big Sisters was a great example of sort of uh, innovation and merger, you know, in the nonprofit sector. So a lot of the local Big Brothers, Big Sisters chapters have merged and created this sort of massive, super, super chapter of the organization. And they wanted someone to come in and run the foundation and launch a campaign. And so that um, that resonated with me. I was uh, pursuing my PhD at UT Dallas at the time. I was just finished with my classes and I was, as they say, those ABD, they, that stands for all but dissertation. You know, so I was all but dissertation. And I thought, you know, I can... Um, I'm not going to class. I can do this. Um, I wanted to, my experience in fundraising was all higher ed. So I, I really did want to have some experience in the nonprofit sector. And so I took that role for what ultimately ended up being about two years, uh, not, not quite two years, um, was able to um, finish that dissertation during that time period. And just, we don't have enough you know, time to really talk about all the things that led to it, but ultimately um, was drawn back to UT Dallas. And uh, what got me back there was um, I wanted to do some consulting and I wanted to launch a fundraising certificate program, which we did in the management school. You know, we had the Lily the fundraising school. There wasn't a whole lot of other opportunities for, you know, for, for like a fundraising school. You could study nonprofit, um, at master's level type programs, you could get certificates and different things for nonprofit, but nothing really dedicated so intensely to, to fundraising. So I, I had this vision to do that and, and we did it 
kind of on a shoestring in a startup at UT Dallas. And so, so to sort of sustain that growth period, the Dean, my, my great mentor, Dean Pierre cool, um, supported that. And he, he, he thought that he thought there was, he agreed that there was a market, you know, for that in Dallas, Fort Worth and, um, allowed me to become a visiting clinical assistant professor at the time to, and I was teaching organizational behavior, uh, there at the business school while launching this certificate program. And so we were doing that, we stood that up, we graduated a class and then, um, UT Dallas had its, its, uh, president transition and they were doing, uh, we were doing some things in the advancement space and, and they, uh, they, uh, called me one day and said, would you come back on staff, you know, to, to help lead the development, um, the development side of this new advancement division that we've created. And, um, and I said, yes, obviously I said, yes, because of, of um, the opportunity. And so that kind of brought me full circle back to UTD. Um, but in, in the capacity of a, a s- associate vice president at that time, which was 2013, 2013 associate VP. So that brought me full circle, but I really enjoyed the time at Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Nonprofit is a very, very different, um, a very, very different uh, set of challenges and industry than than higher ed. So for the short time I did that, and I had several um, clients when I was doing consultant consulting as well in the space and really enjoyed that time. And so um, you then ultimately had the opportunity to, to lead the team. And uh, maybe before we get into, into that, this phase of, of your career, it would be good to just learn more about the naming experience and kind of what, what led to you know, the, the, the initial spark and then ultimately any lessons learned and the ultimate um, outcome. Yeah. You said naming experience, Brent? Yes. Yeah. For the, for the management school? Yep. Yeah. Right. So you'll have to keep me on, on, uh, on sort of time here, but, um, so I just think this was a great example of, um, me being in the right place at the right time with, with a little bit of my own, you know, initiative in there mixed in there somewhere. But, um, it, it really, cause at the time that type of major gift was pretty unheard of at, U, at UT Dallas, um, but we, I was a brand new development officer and we had, we had known we had this, um, we, we'd known we had an alum, uh, Naveen Jindal in India was a, uh, industrialist and, uh, living in New Delhi and very successful, but had been, a uh, an India was an MBA graduate of ours and no one had really ever reached out to him. So I, um, remember, uh, sending just an email as sort of an introductory email and he responded and that led to a phone call. And then all of a sudden we were, all of a sudden we were in India, you know, all of a sudden we had, uh, I had a team of nine, including the Dean and some students. And we were, we were over in India visiting with uh, Mr. Jindal. This was in 2009. And Brent, there's a story that I don't know. I mean, if we have enough time uh, for, but, um, that what we learned and what what was sort of learned over there from Naveen just uh, really spoke loudly of his love and and life changing experience that he had um, at UT Dallas as a as a young international student from India. So quickly, at that time in India, 
the country had a flag code for their national flag. So whereas here in the U.S., if you wanted to, you know, fly our U.S. flag in front of your house or if you wanted to print it on a T-shirt and wear it or if you wanted to, you know, drape it around like a cape, you know, you, we, we have the freedom to do that. And, and in India at the time, a citizen couldn't do that. They had not that freedom with their flag. It could only be flown and shown and displayed on certain days throughout the year, according to the code. So when Naveen Jindal was over at UT Dallas getting a MBA, he was also the student body president. And he was gifted an Indian tricolor, which is their national flag. And his friends and peers said, hang this in your office. And, and he said, I, I, can, I, I can't do that. I can, I can hang this in my office. And they said, yeah, it's your flag. It's your office. You do whatever you want with it. And it struck Naveen then, and he tells this story even today. I was just in India two, two, three weeks ago with him. But he tells this story. He told it to a YPO group that, coincidentally, he was hosting. And I met, <laughs> I ran into people from Lubbock there and, and Dallas-Fort Worth there at Naveen's house. He was hosting them. It was an interesting um, coincidence. But he was telling the story, and he, he reflected at the time, and he still does today, that he had more freedom to display and, and fly and, and have pride in his country's flag in America, then he had that freedom in his own country in India. And so after he graduated, he went and so he went back to India, family business. He was given, uh, he was given a steel plant and to run. And so he was doing his thing. And, and, and one day, you know, he just, uh, just ran the flag up, up his flagpole there out, out at the front of his company and, you know, got into some trouble with some authorities there for having it displayed longer than he should. And it didn't set well with him. He said, why am I getting in, into so much trouble just being being prideful of my country? And well, what he did as a young young person was he he fought a 12 or plus year battle all the way up to the Supreme Court in India. And he had that flag code overturned. And so today he really liberated the, the flag for the ordinary citizen. And so you have uh, Indians have much more freedom to display their flag and fly their flag with respect as we do here. And so Naveen became sort of known as the, the champion of, of, of that cause. And it really was him. And so he has a flag foundation in India and, you know, and he does a lot of work with, um, you know, he was a two-time member of parliament in, in India too. So um, just a, just a patriot there in his country and a leader, industrialist, politician, but also just a, you know, um, just a real advocate for, you know, uh, for, for India and, and his country. And so, but he credits that, um, he credits that motivation to the exact moment when he was on campus at UT Dallas in, in, in the U.S. And so we learned, you know, we sort of, we, we learned this from him. And as I got to know him and understood that, um, it just made, it just, it just began to make sense that, that we, we could begin moving towards this direction of maybe ultimately he would be interested in, in, in honoring his his time and his family or his name while helping UT Dallas uh, grow and, and certainly create a, a culture of philanthropy, which we, we really didn't have such strong alumni giving at the time. And so over, it was a pretty short period of time, but I'd say maybe over the next three years, uh, we began to have these conversations and just trips there and him coming to Dallas and you know, different interaction that uh, was able to travel there and ask him to name the school. And, and, and he did. And that, um, that, that also was a pivotal point 
in the school's growth of being able to, to really take that next step. So I've maintained that relationship with Naveen for all these years. And I was just over there and he's really proud of the, the work we're doing here, but he's also uh, launched a universe, a private university in India. He has a university there called the OP Jindal school. I mean, the OP Jindal global university named after his father. And it's uh, one of the best private uh, institutions in, in that country. Wow. That, he, that he's funded That's, there. So great success story. He's a big champion of higher education. Amazing story. And, and I, I am curious though, when you think about um, that journey and going from, we just want to start building a relationship and understand who this person is to raising your sights to the level of naming the school was there an inflection point or a milestone along the way where, because that also could have led to uh, a $500,000 gift, right? A, an amazing gift, um, but maybe not the transformational level. And so how do you even know how big to dream and how did that evolve? And, and how much of that is your feeling versus a, a direct conversation with him? Yeah, great questions. And and I think we, you know, back then, um, I don't even know if we were doing any matter of fact, I'm pretty sure we weren't, um, any type of of your work, if you will, you know, the uh using technology and information and you know, analysis and modeling and different things. And we, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, LinkedIn wasn't there. And plus, I mean this gentleman was in India and we didn't really know any, have any type of way to get information about that, but it was pretty clear that this alum was very, very successful. You could just Google, you know, you could use, you could use at the time, you know, the internet, which well, wasn't that long ago, but you, you, you know, you could Google and, um, and learn a lot just by that. So it was clear that the um, ability, you know, we, I heard, I was just at a UT system advancement conference yesterday and you know the lia came up you know the old linkage ability and interest and linkage interest and ability uh came up you know that acronym but you know it, it um it's true you know so so he had the ability we knew he had the ability that wasn't a, that you know we we knew that um that there was tremendous possibility there if he so chose to to be philanthropic but but you know it wasn't like I mean, Naveen was living in India, you know, giving that large amount to the U S um, giving an amount to U S might, you know, might, uh, might draw some, might draw some criticism perhaps, you know, in his country. And so we had to be sensitive about that. He wanted to be sensitive about that too. Um, but no, just really first learning again, after, after, after it was just so clear uh, as to what the experience and his time at UT Dallas meant to him and, and and how it's helped him even today you know we knew that was the thing that was the most important you know to even have even any any type of substantive conversation about naming um but it was it took some time we obviously developed a proposal a very well well thought out proposal we you know we spent some time doing that um Naveen is very diligent about um what the support would do and wanted to understand, uh, you know, more there. So it took all, all that due diligence on both sides, you know, took time, but, um, yeah, good question, Brent. I think, I think we have sort of a, a non-scientific feeling of, you know, what, 
what UT Dallas, see, early adopters of philanthropy at any institution get, get, a, get, you know, kind of get in on the ground floor there and they sort of set the, they kind of set the anchor there, you know, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And so we really didn't have this, um, this sort of res, uh, relative measure of which to ask for a naming of a school or, you know, we, we did, we do, we are a part of the UT system. And so um, we, we do have, uh, we do have certain guidelines and um, we look at, you know, we, we look at um, benchmarks across the country and everything else. And those are all fine, but it really comes down to what that donor and what, um, and what, what our university was uh, could, you know, could, um, could come together with. And so we, we had several discussions of amounts and, and we, we ended up at a, at a certain amount that I think, it was certainly agreeable to both parties and it was, it was truly transformational on both ends. It, it really, it really did. It really did set an, set a, set an expectation or a realization at the school that uh, philanthropy can really, um, can really be impactful. And that uh, when others saw that, when others saw an alum giving that way, they've joined on. So the endowment, which was pretty much non-existent. It really didn't measure to anything at the, at that time. Has uh, it's, it's it's just almost um, it's surpassed one hundred million dollars just for the school of management in in justice. I mean that's that's just about a decade, you know, really. And so that really planted the seed and instilled such confidence in in other alums to give. So. Um, I don't know if I answered your question, you know, with, with, no, it's always, I mean, everybody sees the headlines, right? We see the headlines, we see the the outcome, but to know the amount of cultivation that went into it to understand, um, you know, the, even, even the, I mean, it almost sounds like there was a, a negotiation of sorts. And, you know, we always need to be careful because that is, is private and I, I want to respect the privacy, Definitely. but that's also the stuff that, you know, there are a lot of people who will, you know, work in advancement their whole careers and never have a window into how are Kyle and the donor and the Dean negotiating a deal yeah. and, and, and how, you know, tense is that or maybe it's totally collaborative and everybody's aligned because it's the mission but it's sort of that's the piece of it that it, it you know it's it's just rare to for for most people to get a window into something like that yeah i think i think you're right and and i don't know what other word we'd use um to substitute negotiation um and i don't I think, think we should feel bad about saying yeah good- we negotiated we negotiated a business transaction yeah. and it happened to be philanthropic and impact right. oriented, but it was absolutely a negotiation. Yeah. I think it's, I think the word, I think it's a good word. I just think the um, maybe the connotation maybe is maybe a little more transactional than, 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 than we like to think. But when it comes down to money, I, I, I say this to my students all the time. It's like the economists look at the philanthropy and say, like, there's nothing rational about what's going on here. You know, like the, 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 the benefactor, what, who just gives their money away, you know, and, and why? So like the uh, economic theory, you know, has a hard time, but it's a good way to look. It's a good way to, to look at what's, what's going on. But yeah, I think we've, 
we we tend to use that word in the business setting. And but a lot of a lot of what we do, and I, and I kind of wrote about this in my dissertation, the activities of a salesperson and the activities of a fundraiser are are really kind of similar. But then that, to me that that sort of comparison stops at the value proposition of what of what's offered to the buyer, maybe in this, you know, in our case, the, the philanthropist, you know, the value, you just, it just kind of doesn't feel right when you, when you do that, but no, yeah, there was, there was definitely a a negotiation and, and, and there should be. And I think, I think as we, but that's not the first one I've had. I mean, when, when one of the things that I would never as an IT person be able to experience or to, to be able, yeah, to experience is to really be dealing in in substantive ways with individuals like Mr. Jindal in India and several others here in Dallas, uh, I would I would never have gotten to know. You know, it's only through my work at UT Dallas, which is the institution that brought us together. Right, it's not anything that I did. These individuals were perfectly happy not knowing me, but it was through my association with with the institution that that they care for and the cause that they care for that I'm in the conversation or sort of at the table, if you will. And, you know, I, I, I feel like um, these individuals don't get to where they are with the ability and the means to do these things without, without really being uh, analytical and smart and, um, and, and curious about, about, what they are going to do. And sometimes it's, it's not, well, I don't want to give that much. It's, well, I don't want to give that much right now because you can't use it, right? You know, you're, you, there would be no, you, you, you wouldn't know what to do with this much money or, or mm. may, maybe that kind of thought process goes through their mind, or I want to see what, what you do with this much, with this money. And so I will give uh, a, a lot of um, credit and praise to the leadership, the president of UT Dallas, and the dean, you know, at the time, because you know, we, of course, you go in as a as as a school or a university, and you think, well, my 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 school's worth, you know, this many millions of dollars, and we're not going to take anything less than that. And the donor says, well, um, I would like to do this, and and this is what I would like to do, and and um, depending on who you are, what school you are, maybe 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 how, you know, accustomed you've be- uh, become in getting such large gifts, but you know, at the time, UT Dallas said, you know what this is the most transformational thing in philanthropy outside of our founding, our founders, you know, which was another, that's another great philanthropic story, you know, altogether, but from an alum, um, yes, you know, this is a tremendously generous gift. And then, and then this, as the story goes, you know, we had another alum, very generous couple, you know, in Houston that joined in on the effort and, and it just would just, it was just, it was something that is hard to, to repeat, you know, um, when that came together. So, well, I know we're coming up on time and um, definitely want to give you an opportunity to share the latest, what's going on today. What are you excited about? Obviously still uh, doing some global travel. uh, And are you hiring? I mean, just given the growth and everything you've outlined, I imagine you are, but just, yeah. What's the kind of the pitch for UT Dallas advancement today and, and for folks that might want to get in touch. Sure. So we are, we are hiring. We've, um, you know, we've had a lot of turnover since COVID about half, maybe, maybe the staff were up to, to 80 and we're in, a, we're in the midst of a campaign 
the New Dimensions campaign you can find out more about on our website, but it's a $750 million effort for UT Dallas, hmm. uh, real transformational for us. We're focusing in on creating an arts district on campus. So that's that's very brand new for UTD. We're a STEM school, but you know, most of our most of our we do have music programs, but all of our most of all of our musicians are STEM majors, you know. So these students come with uh, abilities and interests and talents that are not that are that are musical or artistic. So we're building uh building that out at UT Dallas. And of course, we're focusing on students and scholarship and and research too with our campaign. So exciting time. We are we are hiring. Uh, we've, we've hired a lot of great people, so not not so so many more positions, but do seek do seek us out because we're looking for people that can move the needle. Um, University is growing by leaps and bounds. We're we're at all time record high enrollment. Campus is thriving. It's it's, it's uh, the infrastructure is 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 phenomenal. Uh, state of the art. We're a residential campus. A lot, a lot of great things going on at UT Dallas Brent. I think sometimes there is this narrative uh, and some of it is certainly true of just higher ed can be a little slow moving or, you know, can take a while to, you know, make decisions and so forth. It sounds like uh, on that spectrum, uh, UT Dallas has been uh, uh, unafraid to change and pivot and evolve and grow. And that is really encouraging. And uh, I want to say congratulations and wish you the absolute best for continued successes and um, it's one that uh, I'm sure many folks want to uh, learn from, and, and hopefully we've given more people a window into that uh, growth story today. Well, thank you, and, and and we're definitely out there. And thank you for you know your partnership, and and sort of we like to learn from as, as many great state, uh, best best and better practice organizations that we can too. For and sure. so we're, our our eyes and ears are, are always open. But Brent, thank you too for uh, the work you do with us. And I'll just uh, conclude by letting everybody know Kyle's definitely active on LinkedIn. Would encourage you to to reach out, um, you know, following the uh, the episode, and and just let them know that you heard it here on the Raise Podcast. And so with that, we will uh, wrap today's episode. Really appreciate you, Kyle. Wish you the best. And uh, with that, Brent signing off with today's guest, Kyle Edgington, who's the Vice President for Development and Alumni Re- Relations at the University of Texas at Dallas. Take care, Kyle. See everybody. Thank you, Brent. Have a great one.